Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sacred Anarchy Live. This is our second episode. We are really excited about continuing our conversation from last week about what sacred anarchy is, how we think and know, actually, I should say, know that this is the solution of how we're going to create a new world. And it all begins with the person in the mirror. So I'm really excited. Our topic today is going to be about disobedience. So before we get started, I just want to say hello to Chad. Agape, everybody. <laughs> and uh, before we get into it, we've got several slides, but uh, just kind of off the top of my head here, you know, when we think about the word disobedient uh, or even just obedience, uh, the first thing that came to mind with this subject is just our childhood and the way that we have been taught uh, culturally to obey our parents and to uh, not color outside of the lines. And if we did, that we knew that we were going to be punished. And so this is already the beginning of programming our psyche to think that we don't have our own voice and that we don't deserve to be heard. And if you really think about children at uh, you know, in the greater scheme, it's like they want to know the right things, but there's also a way to teach people about what is right and what is wrong and just following, you know, blind laws, if you will, is not only is not always the best way, if not, it's definitely not the best way to get people to understand what is right and what is wrong. So when you think about disobedience, you know, the first thing that kind of sticks out here is this concept of morality. And I feel that morality is uh, one of the missing components if we're really going to create a new world and that is based on our consciousness, then we're going to have to know for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And that has to come from our own moral compass. And as a child, that should definitely come from your parents. So uh, we get a little confused along the way as we are kids and having to listen to things that are outright not true, but we are forced to believe. And Chad, you brought up something really interesting this week um, from your childhood when you were uh, in your history class. Do you remember what we were talking about? The history class and how the teacher was sharing something about history that was actually not true. And it was based on your experience of actually visiting the place. Uh, do, do you recall this conversation that we had? Yeah, it it goes along with what you were saying about obedience being ingrained um, by an authoritarian figure your parents can either teach you to be obedient in a situation, you know, situational obedience be, and then explain to you why you would be obedient. You know, do, do this, you know, because of this, you know, you don't just, and then there's the authoritarian parent that just says, do this because I said so. Right. And that is what the school system rewards is do this because I said so. There is no uh, rational thinking. There is no logical engagement. So, uh, yeah, through, throughout school, um, I would obey the teachers mostly because I wanted to get to the next grade and not go to detention or miss uh study hall or all the fun activities and once i got to be older and and see through the authoritarian um you know scam if you will i would have you know i would disobey the teaching because the teacher is teaching from a state school book you know state sanctioned this is what you teach to children and as a history buff as a young age i I would debate the teacher. And in the end, the argument was basically, you just 
learn, you know, learn what I what I tell you because that's what's going to be on the test. And if you don't repeat history as I tell you to, then you don't pass, and then right. you don't go to college. You don't do anything. So, yeah, it was is uh, quite the the lesson to, to learn a you know as a teenager. Well, I kind of like going through memory lane here because it really does bring up adolescence and maybe some of you guys out there, maybe many of you uh, were the rebel in high school or, you know, the punker, the skater or whatever the identity that we were identified as. um, But we wanted to do things in our own way. We were trying to figure out the question, the philosophical question of who am I? And so this is where I, I I didn't know it at the time, but now as an adult, I can really um, find so much value in the way that I operated as an adolescent, uh, even though I definitely got the indoctrination of the get good grades and go to a good college, which definitely ended up biting me in the ass uh, down the line, which is for a different episode. But that inner rebel, if you will, always stayed with me. There was always something that I definitely knew was not right. I didn't know what that was. And so what we're going to be covering tonight to obey or not to obey and the argument that we are going to hopefully get you guys to get on board with is that disobedience is the solution. So We've got our work cut out to us today, so let's go ahead and uh, let's let's break down <laughs> the word disobedience. Disobedience, dis, meaning lack of, opposite of, apart, and obey, carry out the commands of, submit to, be ruled by. Doesn't sound that great. It's definitely not anarchy. Definitely. Definitely the opposite of what we're going for. And yet here we are about to make this argument that the more you tap into your inner compass, right? And you learn to obey yourself. And like I said, this has to go towards our moral compass. And we have to learn how to become our own authority figure. And when we do this, which is really going against the grain and disobeying or rebelling against um, what we've been taught. This isn't to be uh, rambunctious or to create chaos in the streets, but moreover to get us to find solitude, to find um, to find sovereignty within ourselves, And this is the big job. And I, again, from episode one, This is the work that I don't think has ever really been really covered with the topic of anarchy, that not only is it no rulers, no masters, but that you are the ruler and the master of yourself. And really, what does that mean? Uh, There was another instance that's coming to my mind, Chad, from a recent conversation with you, uh, which was about uh, a Twitter uh, conversation that you had. And you had mentioned that the guy didn't know, you know, who was going to be, uh, who's going to save him, you know, that, you know, and then you asked him, well, you're going to save yourself. Oh, yeah. I'd say many, many, uh, fake anarchists on the the social networks that um, many, many people that believe that they are anarchists, but ultimately are still under the idea that a authority figure, an authority group, some institution will be the savior in the end that someone's going to come in and swoop in, whether it's, you know, a, a, a human form or a deity, it's, it's very common. So this idea of governing yourself, of obeying your own moral compass, well, this is something we're not taught in school. What is our creed? What is our code of conduct? What do we, uh, what are the rules and regulations that we ourselves are going to uphold 
for our own benefit, you know, to have these, this moral compass that we've created for ourselves, and that when we break those rules, when we go against our own creed, I mean, this is something I talk extensively about uh, in the Sophia Rising Leadership Training, you know, until you know what your creed is, until you know what your rules and regulations are, then how will you know if you've disobeyed them? And I think if we start to really unravel that question of who am I and what is right and what is wrong, then we're going to learn how to answer the question of, you know, who is going to save us? And again, sacred anarchy is about raising consciousness. And that consciousness starts with the person in the mirror. And I find it, I find it very interesting in the United States and really the, the, the entire West in that I know the U.S. is about 65, 70% Christian. And in the the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, they pretty much tell you that the first act of that created humanity was an act of disobedience. And that leads us to the first slide. Uh, straight out of Genesis. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day, and thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So the original act freeing man from the garden was an act of disobedience to eat of the tree of knowledge, so eating the forbidden fruit. So now you are going to have to learn the lessons that are required to deal with this, these potential consequence of wanting to know what that experience was like, you know, and this, you know, in Kabbalah, you know, the eating from the, the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, you know, this is the clopothic tree. And this is the, the tree that, you know, many people deem as the demon tree. Uh, but this is the underworld. And this is also where we've been uh, enslaved to not even swim in those waters. And the underworld is really just representing the unconscious. So in order for us to learn how to swim in the unconscious, we've got to learn how we have to know what skills are required in order to swim there. So it's a whole new set of skills uh, and tools that are required. So instead of us, you know, deeming this disobedient uh, behavior as careless or uh, satanic or what have you, this opens up this, to me, this beautiful rite of passage of bringing things from the unconscious, right? Swimming in the abyss, the void, the unmanifest, and bringing that to the light. That's what we're doing when we're raising our consciousness. What that really means is you're swimming in this abyss, right? This tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're bringing things that from the unconscious and we're bringing it to light. And the more that we're able to do that, the more courageous we are to endure that act, the more conscious we become as an individual and as a society. We'll see that throughout humans history on earth there's been many archetypes that are based in disobedience when we go back and look at the ancient greeks um you know one of their titans was prometheus titan uh you see on the slide prometheus was a titan god given the task of molding mankind out of, out of clay uh he is it cares for his mm -hmm. his his creation and upset Zeus by bringing mankind food that was only meant for the gods and then ultimately fire, you know, which was be your highest technology of the day and, and, you know, help foster mankind. And what we'll see in these ancient stories is you'd be presented the disobedient character and then immediately 
a punishment for that person, you know, almost like ancient indoctrination to obey the masters. So here we've already got in mythology, this monarchy, this royalty that this already this planting into the psyche, into the unconscious waters, into the minds of man, that there is someone or something above another. So this goes back to this idea, which I believe we talked about last time, which is about hierarchy and holarchy. And hierarchy, again, is changing the mind to get and believing that there is this rank that they, that people uh, of wealth, um, of status uh, are above another. And instead of seeing that each and every one of us plays a very important role in the whole or in the holarchy. So here we are that man, man perceives himself above another, in this case, the the gods, right? The gods, uh, Zeus felt he is above Prometheus. So he was punished. And so here is just a perfect example of how indoctrination begins. Quite a punishment having eagle eat your liver every day. Mm. Another big time uh, disobedient figure. Fear. Jesus Christ. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest. That the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Just a... One snippet out of the Bible showing that Jesus was disobedient and he questioned the Pharisees, he questioned the ruling class, he went against the Romans, he was upsetting the natural order of the day. And uh, we all know how his story uh, turned out, another human sacrifice. And again, these myths that are training the mind of man to know that even if you do a good deed, even if you are for the people, if you will, that you will still, you know, you know be slayed on a cross. I mean, th these are very, um, you know, gruesome rituals of punishment in order to train the mind. You know, even reading these kinds of stories is is telling the unconscious mind that there is something superior than you, meaning that, you know, those who crucified, in this case, Jesus, you know, were in some way above him. And this is very dangerous. This is a very dangerous myth to those uh, minds that have not developed um, the value of disobedience they can see it from a from a fictional character and a, as a hero if you will but then what does it do to the unconscious mind it says oh my gosh if i try to do good in the world if i try to become the best version that i too could be crucified you know i think there's a lot of people out there talking about the witch wound right a fear that if you practice your own you know pagan rituals that you're going to you know, have this scarlet letter, you know, engraved in you. So all of these are like these unconscious ancestral wounds, these psychological controlling mechanisms that are ruling our behaviors. They are, they have created so much fear within the psyche that to go against that wound, that unconscious, ancestral, historical, uh, Akashic, if you will, rule. And that is why we're in the state that we are today. The people have been trained so well to obey. Let's flesh it forward to uh, more modern, modern time of uh, the Middle Ages. Robin Hood, Robin of Loxley. Uh, Hollywood's definitely made 
quite a bit of money off the Robin Hood uh, English folklore story. Um, most people know Robin stole from the rich and gave to the poor, which if you really look at the story, he stole from the government and gave the money back to the people. <laughs> um, but another another figure that showing that we have these ingrained archetypes that inspire us to be disobedient and do what's really right. I think we'll flash it forward to the, the more real recent um, history in the last hundred years. Um, Mahatma Gandhi, if you don't know, Gandhi, uh, while working in, in South Africa, they had very, very strict apartheid laws. No Indians were allowed to get on the train and ride the train with, with the, the Englishmen living there. And so he stood up to the, the, the law, the, the soldiers that ran the trains and refused to get off. So he went to jail and he disobeyed the law. And this is his first, his first uh, array into the consciousness. And um, we'll talk about another um, famous author a little, a little, uh, a little more on, but while in jail, Gandhi read the essay Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau, and this is what inspired him mm -hmm. to stand up against, you know, the British monarchy. And Gandhi's, you know, one of the most famous civil disobedient um, provocateurs of, of the, you know, of history. He stood up against all the ruling class and, and shaped, you know, the world i mean he totally changed everything but this is like but it's these uh moments in history that are they're so prophetic and they're so profound but they also teach man they teach man one to stand up for themselves to to do what is right to do what is moral and then we also watch the persecution of that archetype if you will and this again goes deep into that those subconscious waters where all of us on some degree are still uh behaving with that wound i think this is very important because the reason why anarchy has not become a viable solution in the eyes of man is one because the government will never allow such a thing. Okay. That is the first and foremost is that as soon as anything begins to sway the populace to another solution that does not include them, then all of a sudden we've got bigger fish to fry here. So this is very important because that's why anarchy is not a political movement. If you're doing the great work, if you're doing, you're working on yourself, you're doing your work to eliminate fear, you're pulling things out of the unconscious waters, then all of a sudden as a collective, we start to get stronger. And the more that the collective gets stronger, then we have many people rising, many Gandhis, if you will. And all of a sudden, that is not just a lone wolf or a, a, a lone wolf leading a pack. That becomes just the pack of wolves that, that are all running together for a common goal. And I don't think people realize that there's what, a billion of us and a small percentage of them, if you will. And the more that we rise in consciousness, that's that is something they cannot take away from us. Just imagining a eight billion Gandhis. Exactly. That's, that's quite the quite the scene. Um, next up, probably the most famous uh, American civil disobedient disobedient civilian, Martin Luther King Jr. One has a moral responsibility. One has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. So. Notice the law is spelled with a lowercase l, so that's signifying man's law. 
that words on paper do not justify immoral behavior, whether it's done by an individual or Someone a with group of individuals uh, masquerading, calling themselves a government. Um, Martin Luther King, you know, started a massive, massive uh, civil rights movement, started in Nashville, Tennessee, that changed the the shape of of uh, United States forever. And there's the word moral. You know, we need to start the conversation about morality. We we really need to have this conversation. You know, what is morality? You know, we've got a lot of solipsism and moral relativism going on in the world and I think if you can connect, the more that you raise your consciousness, the more that you connect with your soul, mm. the more it's very obvious what is moral and what is immoral. But the further we get away from our soul, the more we justify certain behaviors. And this is where we start to slide, you know, the, we start to see start to make excuses for what is right and what is wrong. Well, this has been said that this is the right way and this is the, there's like some handbook, but what we're talking about is something intrinsically um, lacking humanity, you know, like war. War, if you really think about this concept, and I know the patriots out there just going to turn this off right now, but they think about war as fighting for our country, but is war a moral act? Well, if someone tells you to kill someone, that's okay, right? As long as they're they've got a lot of badges, maybe some flags on their chest, that's okay. Does that make it better? Exactly. I mean, how do we just, this is cognitive dissonance. This is a mind control mechanism of getting people to believe something that you're doing something for the greater good of your country at the expense of another. Is that moral? That's moral relativism. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a sickness of the mind that is um, rampant in, in many cultures, a little bit more in the United States. We're a little more bloodthirsty than the, than the, um, the other nations out there. It's, kind of scary terrifying and the gla the glaze of you know trying to communicate this topic which again i understand that this live cast is touching upon some pretty controversial i guess you would say topics but converse difficult conversations difficult things that we need to pull out of that unconscious waters and bring them to light we need to start having difficult conversations. If you've ever had an argument on Twitter with the uh, individual, an anonymous individual that tries to justify the dropping of the two ad atomic bombs on Japan in World War II that like incinerated uh, hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians, but that's that's as psychotic as as it gets in in a peaceful society. It's like justifying that as his top top level psychopath and then there's the reason of why you know the justification of why we even go to war do people even know i mean because the things that we've been digging up that have are not the things that are in the history books you know, if you really start to dig for the truth, and that's really required as we are doing the great work, we're digging for the truth because the truth is not going to be in a history book when it's written by people that want to portray history in a certain way. So that means we're going to have to look in other places. And this is where it's going to take a little bit more of effort. It's going to take a little bit more time. Next up, I have a, a actual, not an individual, but a, a movement that occurred 
um, not that long ago and started in New York City called the Occupy the Occupy Movement. Uh, first, it was just Occupy Wall Street, and then over the course of a couple months, it spread to eighty different over eighty different countries, uh, over nine hundred cities. All, you know, I, I felt it was a very justified, you know, cause. It was people that were fed up with um, the the greed and corruption they saw in, in the collusion between big money, Wall Street, you know, banks uh, and government. This is, you know, 2011. It was fresh off the multi-trillion dollar bailout uh, of Wall Street uh, banks and investment firms. And I, I thought it was very justified and it, it absolutely got trashed in the um, in the media uh, nationwide uh, and other countries. Um, everyone was made to, to look foolish and you know, unfortunately, in the course of the two years, the movement disappeared and uh, the conversation was quickly switched to uh, racism. And here we go, because money, the religion of money, which is a whole live cast in itself, but this is one of the primary ways that hierarchy is birthed from you know it's very babylonian it's very um man-made concept to acquire especially when you think about wall street and you think about stocks it's like all on paper it's not even real let alone the actual dollar bill is not even real it's all an illusion it's all a concept and yet the majority of people are so controlled by the idea of money. And this continues the illusion of power. It continues the delusion of authority, right? The more billionaires that there are in the world, like the better the country is. I mean, we're, we're now measuring how wealthy a country is determines its value. I mean, talk about morality from a very lower self enslaved concept where your primitive desires are more important than your higher faculties. I mean, let's talk about this for a minute. It's a pretty big conversation. I mean, this this was some righteous disobedience. Um, you know, if you remember, but this is where the uh, um, social cry, we are the 99% uh, came from. And the images, and you can find these videos online still, where you've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, protesters activists in the streets um downtown manhattan uh you know looking pretty grungy you know these were not these are not wealthy individuals they weren't wearing uh, designer clothes by any means um but while they're protesting inequality and and you know corruption the um the bankers the the stockbrokers were up on the the balconies drinking champagne mm. like you know just just mocking the peasants it, it was quite the scene and yet so many people are starry-eyed over the rich people the people in the public eye the people with the fanciest cars people who look good on paper. I mean, what, to even get a loan to start a business, you have to look good on paper. I mean, it's very bizarre, but it's not hard to understand when you look at the origin of what is actually taking place, which is the perpetuation of the master and slave dynamic. When you really break it all the way down, it's making sure that the common man does not know that he has a master. It might appear to be that he has freedom, 
until he realizes that he has been following orders down to paying taxes and and everything, which, like I mentioned in the first episode, I'm I'm so happy to see the offerings that are starting to pop up like pretty, pretty calm, pretty regularly with uh, just the the fraud uh, of taxes and the things that we've gotten so accustomed to. They've become um, things that we just are supposed to do, just like when we were kids and we had to follow orders. Yeah, it's the the obedient thing to do. You pay your taxes to to um, do your part in the uh, myth of what's called the social contract, which doesn't exist. This is something that is often brought up in news, probably hear it in schools, definitely see it, arguments online. Uh, yeah, there is there is no contract. Your taxes support your own enslavement and a lot of immoral stuff your government does. We've got to start asking harder questions. You know, it can't just be because I'm supposed to do that. Why? Uh, where does it where the origin? I mean, Jordan Maxwell, for those of you guys who are unfamiliar with his work, I know many of you guys are, but he was a brilliant man, a brilliant researcher, has so many amazing uh, teachings you can find on YouTube, on Gaia, just a wealth of information. Uh, I've even done a conversation uh, in my Great Rebirth series on maritime law. There's a lot of information out there of how this all began, and there is solutions on how to exit it. So just know the more that we are rising in consciousness, the more that the more wolves are out there with the information that we all uh, are seeking and may not have right this moment. But again, the more that you do the work, the more that our fellow man does the work, the more we're able to see this, this new world come to fruition. Jordan, Jordan's an excellent mm -hmm. human. Let's listen to what some other intelligent, excellent humans had to say. Um, Eric Fromm uh, was a PhD in sociology. He's a psychoanalyst and social philosopher who explored the interaction between psychology and society. And this quote, uh, Eric had to say, Indeed, freedom and the capacity for disobedience are inseparable. Hence, any social, political, and religious system which proclaims freedom yet stamps out disobedience cannot speak the truth. Mm. Um, Eric probably has written more uh, books uh, from a psych psychological angle on disobedience specifically than I think any other person. His, his niche. Yeah, that's. Good, good person to, to look at for this topic. So interesting that you had mentioned um, about Eric Fromm was that he was Marxist. Yes, he had some he had some uh, confusing uh, political uh, ideologies, but many people did that came out of the Frankfurt School in Germany. Yeah. So this is the interesting thing because there's so many brilliant thinkers, and you know, as we've been studying all of these different fantastic thought leaders, um, there's still a lot of um, commitment to the government. Um, it's, I think, back then, maybe, uh, maybe still in the age of Pisces or something, but we saw, we see a lot of great, brilliant thinkers who brought in all this wealth of knowledge, but there was still this hope that the government could be a solution for the main problems of the day. And this is where we see the modern world the today, how that actually didn't really pan out. And I guess that proposes the question of, is that really possible? When you've got a group of wealthy people who are happy to go to war, uh, you know, are living immorally. Is it really possible to have a government that would be moral? I mean, if we really break that down, do you think it's possible? It's a topic for another. What would happen? 
if we had a, a government? I think the government has gotten so huge. It would be, you know, I would, think my first question is who's funding this government? Because I exactly is it everyone works for hire. Like the reason it's gotten so much bigger is because all of those the, people want a slice of the pie. So that means everyone's going to, you know, maybe the free pizza government. We just give them a slice of pizza to, to do some tasks for the society. Would they work for pizza? Does anyone think Congress would work for pizza? There is something about going back to morality and the enslavement to the lower self, the enslavement to our carnal primitive desires, right? The, the lower self, the, the voice of the lower self is the ego. And until we as a culture, as a society, as a human place less value or at least balance it out, less value on vanity, um, even the mind, wealth, physical pleasure, sensation, until that is at least balanced with the higher faculties, we're going to be swimming in a, a society that is immoral. This quote just, to me, it just resonates with the last three years. You know, how much censorship of thought and idea uh, was, was, you know, enacted upon people over the last three years? Like how, how could we ever trust what what the authority figures controlling the society it's global now global society how could we ever trust anything they say they they don't they don't allow any disobedient behavior right you were shut down your business was closed you were you were fined into non-existence you know uh, a man in the northeast had a lifelong pizza pizzeria and he, he fed uh, an unvaccinated person and they find him out of existence. Wow. Life, life dream just squashed. And this is like government's so big. It's like to disassemble. It would just be. So it's on to, this yeah. is on to Gandhi's inspiration, Henry David Thoreau. Uh, his, his bios is pretty awesome. American author, naturalist, transcendentalist, and tax resistor. <laughs> this is our kind of guy. Disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. The obedient must be slaves. So if you obey everything without question, probably doesn't feel good to think this. But survey says you're a slave. So when we decide to act upon something, right? We, there is a consequence on some degree. This is where that moral code, your own internal um, moral compass needs to, to kick in. And I think because we have not placed a value on our spiritual life, on the sacredness of life, we resort back to obedience for for safety but it's not safety right this this that's the ego wanting to be safe and secure i don't want to get in trouble i don't want to get detention but what we are giving away with those decisions by being obedient we're actually giving away so much more it's so much more expensive and i don't mean financially to give away our power, our voice, because of fear and because of so-called comfort. Oh, Eric's back. <laughs> Human history began with an act of disobedience. Uh, remember our very first slide? And it is not unlikely that it will be terminated by an act of obedience. So what's he saying here? Our creation is is comes out of dis disobedience, but our destruction mm. will come from obedience. 
the damage that obedient humans have done to one another is astounding. You, you look at all the, the blind order followers throughout history. We're talking about people that willingly fought in military uh, um, uh, actions, uh, police. I mean, we're talking about, you know, I mentioned earlier the the bombing of of innocent Japanese civilians during World War II. I mean, could you imagine if the guy who was flying the plane, the Enola Gay, decided to just go off course and land the plane and drop the, the bombs in the ocean instead of on the people? I mean, that would have been an amazing act of disobedience. Uh, the The soldiers that uh, killed their fellow fellow countrymen in the uh, Red Revolution of China, the Maoist Revolution. You know, tens of millions of people killed by obedience. And this, we return to the ancestral wound. Why, in this case, does he not turn around and drop the bombs in the water? Because fear of death. Fear of prosecution by the authority figure, punishment. You know, so we worse glory. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he mm. was really, really doing a good deed by incinerating civilians. And this is why the sacredness of life, again, the conversations that we need to be having with our friends and families and those that we relate to is the sacredness of life. And the more that you really sit with that, you know, meditate on that, really chew on that, the sacredness of life, you start to see the world through a different lens. You start to see the world through the, the higher faculties, right? The intuitive, the intuition, the, the higher mind, the divine will. You start to see above the surface, the superficial, the illusion of the physical, the complexities of the mind, the monkey mind. And you start to see, wow, you, the bird's eye view that you get when you tap into just that question what is this what does it mean to have a sacred life sacred it means pure right you wake up every day knowing like every, my actions where i'm putting my efforts how i'm spending my money on what on, with what companies i mean this is an ongoing process of changing our values you know we've placed so much emphasis on making all this money and becoming billionaires and having the fanciest cars and who's going to the best school and the illusions that we are the mass the identities the cultures that we've identified with we don't want to be shunned but that's all lower self enslavement you know the inauthenticities on top of inauthenticities. There's a quote by Oscar Wilde. He was an English playwright, quite a, a wild man. Disobedience in the eyes of anyone who has read history is a man's original virtue. So kind of bringing it back to the, you know, biblical passage out of Genesis. It's, it's in our nature to, to disobey, to live you know, free to aspire to be whatever you really want to be in the aim, you know, within the, the confines of, of natural law, you, 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 you need to have the vision, the, the, the drive, the desire to, to think and act would create without any limitations, as long as they're, they're within the laws of nature. And there's a way to get back in touch with what is sacred in life, nature, you know, nature itself has divine order as, as much as it is um, chaotic, you know, in some regard, if you really look at it, it's, it's deterministic chaos. It's not entropic. There is a rhyme and reason. So right now we're in the midst of really 
seeing chaos, but if we look from that bird's eye view, we will see that it, it is actually divine order, but it's got a complexity to it. It's got a, it's got a rhythm. It's the it's, perfect balance of order and chaos. Mm-hmm. It's a dance. Noam Chomsky, philosopher and political activist. The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow a very lively debate within that spectrum. So this is, uh, this just perfectly describes the political uh, arguments we see presented to us on major news networks, whether it's MSNBC uh, or Fox News. Mm. It's it's how to to argue over these little petty uh, subjects. You know, these days it's you know, how to what's going to be taught in the school. Should we teach this agenda, or kids shouldn't be allowed to to, to see that material? You know, the banning of books. Um. It really doesn't lead anything. It all it does is is create more uh, division and pushes the the dialectic, so the agenda just continues. Well, it keeps the mind in this like tennis match, you know. And if you don't explore other questions outside of a narrative, outside of what is uh, predominantly being shared. You know, if you don't go out and seek the esoteric knowledge, you will be a victim of the exoteric knowledge. And again, this is not taught in schools, but, you know, esoteric knowledge is reserved for those who are on the path. You know, they're on the path of the great work. They want to explore the innermost um, parts of themselves. The, the bigger questions on, is this right? Are my actions reflecting what I say I want in the, in the world? Or am I um, a victim of cognitive dissonance? And so this is where we go out and we seek new knowledge, avant-garde knowledge. You know, we start to disobey the, the mainstream movies and we start to watch the more underground movie. We start to see things from a new lens. And this is how we create uh, a new version of ourselves because what goes into your technology, you know, gets processed. And then all of a sudden it creates and answers the question of who am I? I am creating myself every single day. And one of the ways that I am doing that is I'm being more conscious about what I'm going to consume, what I'm going to discuss, uh, the books that I choose to read. Am I going to have this conversation that I've had a thousand times? It's just a ping pong match. Or do I want to go explore the deeper waters of the unconscious and pull things out, discuss them? To me, that's like, you know, I've been waiting for this day for that to be popularized. And I feel so much um, gratitude for the community that has been created through Sacred Anarchy. And for those of you guys watching, it's like, I'm just so grateful for you every day. This, um, you know, this, this lively debate, it, uh, it's, um, it's kind of funny because it's like it's a perfect contradiction for the people in, in the that are bought into the the political spectrum. You have people on the right side of the argument that are always pro freedom. They have bumper stickers, freedom, liberty, uh, but they're also pro police and military. They're pro um, what I view as the things that crush liberty. And then on the left side of the spectrum, you have, you know, people that are more tapped into their uh, their heart and emotion, and they want to help people, and but they push for bigger government. They want more taxes to increase the institution that that 
again squashes all of those uh those people that they want to help it's just one big contradiction and we're feeding the wrong belly you know that's why you know creating a movement you know i think we've got this idea you know again probably an egregore but this idea that to lead a movement you've got to have thousands of people behind you and i'd really just like to you know articulate this that leading a movement doesn't have to be a big festivity you know this is that lower self wanting this millions of of customers and millions of dollars and i need a lot of followers and you know we've been indoctrinated to think that but leading a movement is you know unique to your soul's work and if everyone you know, was doing the great work and really found what their purpose was, and we all were doing that, all of a sudden giving money to the belly of the beast or the, the government belly is unnecessary because now we've got all of these other movements that are doing their part in the holarchy. This is why hierarchy is not sustainable. And the more that we really sit with that and make it a priority to look inside, how can I make life more sacred? How can I create the next version of myself? How can I support the whole? How could I lead a movement? Even if it's within my family structure, you know, if it's in my community, you know, if it's a little online business, whatever it is, you know, write a book. It doesn't have to be even a business. It's just something that is calling you and you want to share it. That is your right. It's another great quote from Eric Fromm. For centuries, kings, priests, feudal lords, industrial bosses, and parents have insisted that obedience is a virtue and that disobedience is a vice. So this is... Mm. exactly what uh, the people at the top of the hierarchy want you to believe. They want you to, to blindly act this way in all aspects of your life. Don't question, don't question any authority, just, you know, everything's instinctual. Obesity, uh, obesity, (laughs) obedience is instinctual now to where, you better just, you better obey, you know, that's, that's how you get closer. You know, that's that's how you get closer to God. That's how you, your parents will love you. That's how um, you're going to get to heaven is, is being an obedient, you know, obedient uh, little boy or girl. And yet sin, (laughs) sin comes from the origins of the lunar goddess. So we've been, demonizing this concept of sin going against the grain doing things in your own unique way um as something bad um you know when really sin was digging into those unconscious waters which is the feminine energy which is that more chaotic darkness and bringing things out from it into the light so there's so much back backwardsness in order to keep people enslaved in their minds that if we do not if we do something if we sin then we are bad but sin is about you finding and connecting with that inner goddess the part of you that is probably so deep down and buried it's unconscious and getting to know it, whether it's a little girl or a little boy or a little child inside of you that has been trying to communicate with you. And the sooner that you give it a voice, give it the microphone, give it the megaphone, listen to it, start to question where all these origins of these words, this indoctrination spell, right? Hollywood, Hollywood comes from the type of wood used from the Druids who made the magic wands. It's been inverted. They have been practicing sorcery in Hollywood, not magic. So this is, again, for another conversation for another day. But this is how we 
start to change the way we uh, or cut cords with obedience. Moving on. (laughs) Obedience to a person, institution, or power is submission. It implies the addiction of my autonomy and the acceptance of a foreign will or judgment in Mm -hmm. place of my own. Obedience to my own reason or conviction is not an act of submission, but one of affirmation. My conviction and my judgment, if authentically mine, are part of me. If I follow them rather than the judgment of others, I am being myself. Mm. I love it. This is such an excellent point of affirmation. So I love this concept of submission versus affirmation, you know, to affirm, to communicate what it is you want, right? You know, communication in general has been one of the hardest things, I think, for people to use and actually use it to gain to get what they actually need and not in a manipulative way, but to be able to communicate your thoughts and emotions and desires accurately in a way that the receiving party can understand. And this goes back to the uh, esoteric teaching of the spirit, the prism and the spectrum. So when you're communicating and clearly communicating, You're being very articulate. You've processed how you're feeling. You're affirming, this is what I want. So then you go, and that's your spirit. You're strengthening your spirit. So you send that out. And what happens? The receiving end, which is the prism, which is the feminine, the spirit is the masculine, the prism. And you can paint the picture here of the dark, the, uh, the album cover, Pink Floyd, The Dark Side of the Moon. But This is the exact visual here. Spirit punctures the prism and the feminine tries to interpret what the spirit was trying to communicate. Now, when you've done the great work, you're very clear. The reception is very clear. So that way, when you start to talk to people, you are very clear in the way that you're communicating. That means that you're learning how the universe works because the more that you're clear, the more that you are affirming what your intention is, then it gets interpreted. And once that is interpreted, then it produces an outcome or the baby, like the baby horse or the seven um, colors in the spectrum, right? So if you're very um well immersed in learning the esoteric arts or the initiatic sciences, you're going to become very um, gifted at this concept of communication or affirming what it is you want so that it is interpreted correctly and it produces the result you want. But the more vague you are, the more submissive you are in that approach, the less likely you're going to get what you want. This just looks, reads to me like slavery versus anarchy. You know, are you, um, are you submitting to the perceived authority, your mythical authority, or are you just affirming what you need as a person, as an individual, um, because it's the right thing to do for your health, your your mind, your, mm. you know, your, your spirit. It's like we've been taught to put ourselves last. And where has that gotten us? Yeah. Where can I fit myself into the, the allowable box of the uh, lively debate that Noam Chomsky was talking about? All right, so we're getting ready to wrap up here. Um, This is, you know, the beginning of the great work, you know, starting to question, am I just being obedient and why? 
And, and what is obedience? How is that serving you right now? And if there's something in your life that you don't have that you want, maybe it's time to look at disobedience as a soul solution, you know, a solution. And try that hat on because this isn't about creating chaos in the streets. This is about contemplation and seeing things from a bird's eye view. And the process, while it might be, you know, difficult to get started on your own, maybe not sure where to look. So um, on sacredanarchy.org, I have been teaching for a really long time. I have a whole mystery school. I've got uh, a library of like replace your Netflix. <laughs> I've got a library filled with hundreds and hundreds of hours of uh, teachings, videos, all kinds of stuff. And then I've also got the Inner Temple Magic Academy, which is really about you doing that inside work and using the uh, principles of magic to really call in the things that are important to you. But first, we've got to understand what is important to you. What is sacred to you about life? So sacredanarchy.org if you want to learn more. Parting thought of mine. <laughs> the next time, if you want to have a, 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 a righteous act of disobedience, <laughs> feel empowered. The next time you're at a stoplight, in the middle of nowhere when no one's looking, drive through it. Feels great. Don't be a slave to the machine. Agape, brothers and sisters. All right, everyone. See you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll hope to see you guys in the Telegram group. <laughs>